Can we make sense of all the trade deadline madness? Did Philly get good enough to win the East? Have the Kings done enough to get to the playoffs? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown live show slash podcast uh, slash trade evaluation after a crazy day of lots of things going on. As always, I'm joined by Jared Weiss to discuss everything that happened in the last week or longer or today or last couple minutes even. So, Jared, coming from the garden, very exciting backdrop you have there. It's a little bit better than my bedroom at home. So, yeah, I'm very happy to be here, both on the show and at the garden. Awesome. Well, let's kind of jump into this. I, you, do you want to steer for a minute and kind of dis- decide what you want to talk about first? Uh, God, okay. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Marcus Hull first. I think that's that's the one that I think has the most immediate impact on the title race. So Marcus Gasol, Toronto Raptors, seems like a match made in heaven, replacing Jonas with him. I mean, it's, it is so exciting to think of. Not only do they have like a – kind of like a, just a much better version of what Valanciunas can do, but they have someone they can really run the offense through. And I'm really curious to see how that's going to change their offense. I think Tobias Harris and Philly just makes them more potent than compared to Wilson Chandler, but Gasol could allow them to run their offense in an entirely different way. Can, you know, they can play high-low off you know, him and Siakam or Kawhi. I mean, all sorts of stuff that just makes life so much easier for them. So that's, I feel like that's a team that got, that made the biggest improvement at the deadline. Right. I, I, now, we did see a little bit of Alan Shunis, you know, trying to get to the corner to shoot threes a little bit, but we now have Gasol who can go to the wings and shoot that. And that opens up a whole lot of other things that they can do, and his passing is so good as well. So it is definitely a nice gauntlet dropped by the Raptors who kind of were forced to do it, I suppose, because of what Philly did uh, just to keep up. And um, they are better. You know, I like Wright. He was good, but, you know, certainly someone they could, you know, sacrifice to get uh, Marcus all in. So I am really intrigued. Listen, I was already in on the the Raptors as it was. So it's not like uh, this is, you know, this is making me like them even more because I I like them. I think that they're right up there at the top of the Eastern Conference. Um, You know, I was thinking about this before. Do we have an order of the Eastern Conference now that the dust is settled in the trade deadline? Nope. It's... You have, I mean, Milwaukee gets Nikola Miritich. They don't really give up anything of value there. Actually, let me just make sure that's completely correct. It's, it's, there's been so many trades in the last like hour and a half, I can't even keep track anymore. Um, but why can't I find Miritich on it? Oh, well, yeah. whatever. So uh, here we go. So Jason Smith, Stanley Johnson, the Washington second rounders. That's uh, You give up the Washington second rounders to get Miritich. Miritich elevates their capability to the point that they can win the title this year, I think. I mean, Golden State... It's insane, but Milwaukee has been amazing this year. Miritich is the perfect guy to compliment them. So this is this is a match made in heaven for them, and they might keep them long term. I mean, they they're probably gonna have to jump deep into the tax if they want to keep this team together. But I'm assuming this team is gonna prove worth it this this year. And Miritich is it's not like they needed Miritich, but he's just such a big upgrade over Ilyasova, and they can close with him. I mean, they have so much versatility in how they want to close games. They're kind of matchup proof at this point. Interesting. Yes, I think that is going to be one of the bigger things that both Brett Brown and Budenholzer are going to have to deal with is just the lineups, who to play with whom, that alchemy that's never clear uh, up until the playoffs or maybe never clear ever uh, if you're Dwayne Casey. So uh, that's going to be a real hard thing to discover for them is figure out where they're going to play Miritich and how. And also, can they keep Miritich healthy? You know, he's had two stints now where he hasn't been playing because of injury. And so it's like uh, and that seems to be par for the course for most of his career. So 
So who knows if he's going to be able to stay healthy and actually help them or not. But uh, I guess it takes minutes away from Snell a little bit too if they need it from there because he can go. They can go big or small with Miritich. It's kind of interesting to me. What's good is they traded Bobby Portis as far away as they could, so at least he doesn't have to worry about getting hurt that way. Ah, that's okay. That's true. Although I hear that they're uh, friends again. No, I don't even know that. Nonetheless, <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked. Wait. So I, I didn't fully answer your question. So that's Milwaukee. Toronto, they took a bigger leap than Milwaukee did. I guess they have to be right there. And then Philly, their team, I don't know how it's going to work, but they're stacked. They have the best starting lineup outside of Golden State in the league now. J.J. Redick is, you could argue, they're the least best player in that team. And J.J. Redick's an amazing player who can single-handedly win you a playoff game. So the, I think those three teams are kind of on even footing right now in that Milwaukee and Toronto, we know, it's going to work well. And then Philly, you're assuming that they're just going to turn into a bit of a juggernaut once they really figure that thing out. But it's not as coherent as Toronto and Milwaukee. And then Boston doesn't make that big of a, you know, they, all they did was they got rid of Jabari Bird, which they were trying. They just dumped him for nothing. So they can now attack the buyout market. They're probably going to be one of the most, probably in the pole position to get someone good on the buyout market because they can offer a prorated share of the tax MLE so they can offer more money. But then again, the guys that they're going to be bidding for probably don't really care that much about the different, you know, a couple million dollars difference or even a million dollars difference at this point. So probably behind the Warriors, they're the most, you know, optimal buyout team. Interesting. And I think the buyouts are going to be a whole other, you know, thing that's going to play out for the next, I don't know, what, probably a week or so until we can get uh, the death settles there. Hard to figure that out. I know that Wayne Ellington is out there and everyone's going to probably want to try and get him. He's a solid veteran that can shoot. Uh, what do you guy. hear? That's the guy I think that all these teams are going to go for the most. Um, I think Philly's probably going to charge hard at them. Uh, him. They, they definitely want to have another shooter in their rotation. Boston is going to go for him, I, I'm sure. I mean, they. I think their needs are probably – it'd be nice that they can have, like, a 6'11 guy that can just be effective on the offensive class, just you know, go up against certain lineups like that. But they don't necessarily need a, a post defender. It's more for having length. So I think for them, they're looking just more for more reliable 3 and D guys. You know, Shemi Ojale was a good 3 and D guy for them last year. And he's been – I mean, last year he was, he was getting inconsistent minutes. This year, same story. I'm sure they would love to have Ellington in there. Um, but I think Ellington's basically going to have everybody bidding for him. He's just going to pick which place does he fit best. For sure. Um, so let's move on to, should we go to the West a little bit and kind of touch upon that? We'll go back and forth. We'll answer some questions as well. So make sure you answer or ask your questions in the uh, comment section of the Periscope. But uh, let's uh, let's jump in here to the Western Conference. Certainly the Lakers, uh, they, they finally got into it, made a trade. Um, I don't think it was what they wanted, obviously. But uh, where, where, do, where should we jump off here? I guess, uh, what do, where do you think? Why the hell did they get rid of Zubac? He's a good player. He's like a solid prospect. And they dumped him so they could bring in Mike Muscala, which I guess is going to help them a little bit this year. Uh, but just so they can clear out a roster spot to get Carmelo or whomever else they're going to get on the buyout market. I don't understand why they would get rid of Zubach. I assume if they're getting rid of Zubach, that means that New Orleans said we don't have any interest in him. I think part of the problem is that now that Anthony Davis is still on the Pelicans past the deadline, I think it's very probable that there's going to be a new GM that they're negotiating with come draft time. And you don't know how that, that, that GM and that front office is going to feel about those prospects. You really have no idea. So maybe New Orleans didn't like Zubach this time around, but they may feel completely differently when you, you know, look at it a few months from now. 
that is true. Um, I'm, 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 cu- I'm curious to think about why you think that the, they're going to do a change in the front office of the Pelicans, I suppose, just because they're tired of bad moves. Because they've had Dell Demps this whole time. They failed to rebuild a few times. And now they're going to have to do a full-scale rebuild. They don't need to worry about how Anthony Davis feels about confidence in the future of the team because that's already done. Right. And they need to bring in someone. They need to look at what Travis Slank is doing, which Sean Marks pulled off in Brooklyn, which has been remarkable. They need to look at one of those guys. And I mean, not literally those guys, but like a, a candidate like that and bring in that kind of GM that you know can really set the tone for asset development and player development and actually kind of build up from the ashes. They have to look at this as a whole-scale rebuild of their entire basketball ops situation. Fair enough. And to talk a little bit about Zubats, I agree. I mean, he's a, a really nice young center who was developing and putting up some good numbers when he got minutes. They already had Tyson Chandler and they had JaVale McGee. Uh, those guys don't have much value anyway. They're all sort of too old and too long the tooth for anybody else to want to get him. So uh, it is interesting because... In the, I just don't know what the Lakers are trying to do. Are they trying to somehow shore this up for LeBron so they don't waste a whole year of his career at the end there to you know make a run or something? But it, it, that doesn't make much sense. They didn't make a deal, so they still have all these these young guys. And now we have, you know, how many seats between LeBron and the rest of the team are we going to see in the next game? <laughs> he might just sit in the balcony while they're on the bench. I have no idea. I mean, right. there. Well, that's, they can rebuild that. In all fairness, LeBron has a special seat with the, uh, the cushion, so he's not going to move it all over, you know, a few seats. But it, it, I think it still spoke volumes for whatever, however you want to say it. But uh, sorry, finish your thought. Uh, I was just to say that, well, for one, the it's yeah, it's on those guys to go sit next to LeBron. That that could all be fixed. Uh, it's, I don't think they're going to contend this year, but they can at least get back to being a coherent team. I think that if LeBron and Luke and hell, maybe even Rich Paul talks to these guys, they can work that out. Uh, but I'm sure LeBron is definitely disappointed. I think it, it, was, it didn't have to necessarily be AD, but I think he was hoping they would at least get one other really good player in there with him. Maybe getting mellow just helps, you know, kind of ease that a little bit. But if LeBron misses the playoffs, I don't know what the hell he's going to do. The thing is, he's he's locked in, so he's stuck there. Yeah, he's and, not, he, and there's no he does not have a no trade clause because they what I threw out there before is like just trade LeBron for AD like that would get that would make the deal happen. Not a terrible idea, not the right? worst idea I've heard. I mean, it, it, from a business standpoint, you're now getting a guy much younger who's going to be there for a lot longer who wants to be in LA, and uh, and you know you don't have to deal with all the headaches that do come with LeBron. Let's face it, there are headaches. There are you know KD talked about it, and uh, perhaps there'll be a video on that uh, coming up soon uh, that you and I were texting about earlier. So um, you know it, it was provocative, and of course it would never happen. But man, if you were a ruthless, cold-blooded general manager, that had to have crossed your mind that you could do that. Um, now, one thing about the trading Beasley away, I think, is interesting. They traded the Lakers traded Beasley down the hall to the Clippers, and um, what that almost might be saying is that they stand in Luke Walton's corner because Beasley was one of the guys that was, you know, having this confrontation with him in the locker room about the, what Luke had said about being unselfish and whatever. And certainly, Beasley was the guy he was targeting. So that sort of says to him, well, we're going to get rid of at least one of those guys that's kind of giving you problems. Is this, do you feel like that might be a backing of Luke? To a degree, but it's also a sign that they're going to bring in Mello and Mello and Beasley. <laughs> Phil, they're, they're identical players at this point of their career, right? So right. except that Beasley can do better. But uh, I think that definitely has something to do with it. But, yeah, it does send a signal to everyone else. 
everybody. I know you're pissed off because we literally try to trade every single person on the roster, not name LeBron, but everybody fall back in line. We're going to get the ship right at the end, and we're going to try to make a splash in the playoffs, and that's a good way to do it. And, I mean, Muscala is someone that makes sense for them and that he's a guy that can play the four and shoot the ball, and they need that, but they didn't – Getting rid of Beasley and Zubac, I don't think really improves their team much in the short term. Um, let's move over to well, what, what other Western Conference teams can we talk about besides um, besides them? Um, we did have an interesting trade, I thought, with the Pelicans. Uh, you know, they get Markeith Morris in a, a second rounder for Wesley Johnson. Do you feel like they'd be like you know the Wizards were just bored and like just felt like they needed to make a move? The Wizards, I think, realized that they made horrible mistakes before the season started and the way they were building their team, and they had to try to unravel it as quickly as possible when John Wall went down. This is the stuff they should have been doing last year anyway and trying to rebuild around Beal. They screwed up. Their franchise is ruined at this point. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, they're probably going to have to trade Beal in the offseason or at the deadline next year. He's not going to stay long-term unless something miraculously turns around. So this is about them trying to get up with the tax. And you see that in that they dumped Otto Porter for, I mean, they, they just basically was a salary dump on Otto Porter, which is really sad because Otto Porter is a good player. I mean, a couple of years ago, he was their borderline third star, and he ends up being a complete salary dump, even though he's like not even in the prime of his career yet, and he's still going to grow into what is probably going to be a solid starter for a playoff team, which already has been a, play, a solid starter for a playoff team. So they, they're probably the most poorly run franchise in the NBA at this point. If or maybe the Lakers with the Lakers or the Lakers so they get lucky with LeBron all that kind of stuff. But you wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. You, you got to put the Knicks in the top of that list, don't you? Not right now. The Knicks, I mean, they're taking a huge gamble, but they have a pretty coherent strategy. And they, you know, they, they may pull it off. And I think that's what we got to talk about next. But the Knicks at least are well positioned for the future. While, I mean, I guess they do have all their chips put into one or like a couple baskets there with KD. Kyrie, whomever else, while at least you know, the Lakers are pretty much AD or nothing, but they still have good pro- they still have good young players that they can continue to try to move. The Knicks are banking on this cap space, being able to utilize it, and basically one week they have like a one-week window to make it all work. But Washington, it, they have literally no hope at this point. There's nowhere that they can go anymore. They have, the per- they have a perfect franchise building block of Bradley Beal that they're probably going to have to get rid of so there's no there's nothing positive going on at Washington. They have no other they have no other good prospects that I, I can think of off the top of my head. The guys that they think could build, you know, go or become like good starters in the future. They have one in Kelly Oubre who decided that they weren't satisfied with his progress and they wanted to trade him. They traded him for a very similar player who was twice his age who doesn't really serve any long term value. So that's what they've been. They got rid of all of their young prospects just to clear tax. Basically, it's a complete disaster. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on the Knicks, and you, you, are, you have a point there, and then things all will go in their favor, which they might just because the NBA is rigged. Whoop, no, sorry. Uh, then then that'll really look good for them next year. Let's go to a couple questions real quick. We have from uh, Rompace1999, will Fultz be good? He went to the Orlando Magic. Uh, I will say that the Magic don't necessarily seem like they develop players that well. We haven't really seen anybody you know like that consistently, like the Spurs or whatever, or the Sixers. So, um, but I do feel like as far as change of scenery, it wouldn't have mattered where he went. He just needed to go somewhere. And the only question now is, Nate, do you have any information about this? Do we know if uh, Fultz is any better or closer to returning and, and being healthy? 
I'm pretty mum on that. I mean, Orlando was the team that I had always been hearing was, was kind of his most likely destination just because they're positioned to take on a risk like that. I don't believe that he's that close to playing right now, but most of his issues are, I, I, it seemed to be that most of his issues are more mental and not necessarily like it was, he has nerve issues. So, so much of his issue is about having confidence in what he's doing with his body rather than like some sort of like emotional issue, but just rather like trusting his body. And that's why he had so many issues. A lot of the stuff that was in my report on the athletic with Sam Amick and Derek Bonner back in November when we broke that he wanted to get traded. So he finally got his wish and he's in a situation where there's like no pressure for him because he's under contract. He's on the team that isn't really fighting for the playoffs. They don't have another point guard that's really trying to steal his role in the team like they've been rolling with DJ Augustine as our point guard. So this is a situation where he can be patient. He can take a lot of shots and miss a lot of shots and still think he'll be patient with them. So I think this is this is the best chance that he has to write his career again. But of course, if he if he can't fix the physical and, and psychosomatic stuff, then it's you know nothing's gonna happen. Um I agree. I feel like um all those things are what you said as far as, you know, I think that the bottom line is, is that the change of scenery is going to end up doing him good. But again, until we see him on the court, we have no idea what that means for uh, Orlando at all, if it does mean something. But man, we, we do know that he can be good when he's healthy. So let's move on to something else. Uh, let's see if there's another question here while we're here. Uh, okay, uh, let's see. Uh, Sukafish12 asks, okay, still, still it's a shooter. Uh, who can they go after except Ellington now? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, who are the shooters out there off the top of my head that are on the buyout market? Osas Castillo, is, who's, who's been on like five different teams in the last few hours. Uh, I assume Avery Bradley's not going to get bought out because he's got some guaranteed money next year. Markeith Morris might get bought out, but he apparently has is getting a second opinion on his neck injury, so he might not be available. He's a good stretch for. Uh, you know, Zach Randolph just got bought out. He's obviously not going to fill that role. So there's not, there's not really much out there for shooting besides Ellington that I can think of off the top of my head right now, uh, just after all the moves that happened. But, I, I mean, can you, can you think of anyone else? Uh, no, did you say Corver? No, Corver, uh, I don't think he's going to be. I mean, he's... I think he's in a he's in a playoff situation. They're not going to move him. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. I forgot he's already. Yeah. Listen, that was so long ago now. Where he? Okay. Never mind. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, the, the, obviously, that's who everybody wants. No one's going to buy out the shooter who's taller than you know six four anyway. So uh, that's a real uh, problem that the uh, the Thunder. By the way, as far as the regular season goes, at least they don't seem to have much problem with you know not having a lot of shooters because they still win a lot of their games. So uh, you know. They uh, they do that now. Let's see. So Jack V says OKC should get Cantor. Um, I believe they tried that already, and they probably won't go back and do that again. If uh, I think that's <laughs> yes. Um, and let's see here. Uh, anybody else is here? Thoughts on the Bucks move? I'm concerned about the guards. So that was Josh uh, Ripka twelve. We did touch upon briefly what the Bucks did as far as bringing in Miritich, but I'm certainly concerned about Bledsoe and his play in the playoffs against the best teams. You know, in the second round and the third round, that's where I'd be most concerned. He does very well against other teams that don't have uh, that aren't as good. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Bucks? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little biased against Bledsoe because I I covered him in the playoffs last year and it was like a historically bad performance from a player of his caliber. So. I'm not optimistic about how he performs in the playoffs, but he's a different player this year. He really is. Uh, he's just so much more focused. He fits He fits in the system so much better. 
So I'm more optimistic. And then Brogdon's been great this year. I mean, unless Brogdon hits a cold streak, he's going to continue to be effective as a good two-way player. Um, you know, the guys that they have on the bench are like solid, but they're they're generally a bigger team. They're going to play bigger. I mean, they can go big with Middleton as a guard. So they have they have different options. I'm not really concerned about, concerned about that. And they've been shooting the ball so well this year that it's not like deep shooting is a concern for them. Um, I agree. I agree. So, you know, they, they have a lot of everything. They, you know, they have, and Budenholzer is a great coach. They'll have them prepared. Um, I got to kind of rack my brains a little bit about Budenholzer as a playoff coach adjustment style. And I think that uh, certainly he's got the pedigree of pop. Uh, right. I don't, nothing is raising my, there's no red flag raising in my head about him and issues with that. So I think that they're, they should be in good shape with that as well, uh, as far as adjustments. So, right. Do, do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, he's Atlanta was really good in the playoffs a couple, like the last time that he was there. Yeah, I mean, and, I know Corver got hurt with that dive by Del Doba yeah. and that kind of – and they, they had another injury. Oh, they had um, – Damari Carroll got hurt, and that was the, probably the biggest issue for them. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, so, they're in, I mean, listen, Milwaukee's in really great shape to, you know, have the – okay, really quickly, MVP. We have Giannis, we have Harden. Who wins that? It's I mean, Harden should, but it's, it's a shame that Harden exists because Giannis has been a no-brainer. <laughs> this year and Jokic I think probably should be right there with him as well uh but Jokic isn't quite on that level but yeah Harden Harden is because I mean Giannis hasn't really had any adversity this year and I think that from an narrative perspective we love adversity Giannis what he's done would be MVP in almost like any season but just Harden is scoring at you know he's scoring at goat levels on a team that has completely fallen apart that has been I'm not going to say mismanaged, but let's say their owner has screwed, has kind of screwed their management over and the way that they tried to tried to build that team in the offseason, how they continue to try to build that team. And, I mean, Chris Paul goes down, Eric Gordon goes down, Harden just is putting up 40, 50 a night. And what he's doing is just so unbelievably insane that I think it's a kind of a no-brainer to give it to Harden at this point. But there's enough time left in the season that it could change. But unless Harden goes super cold and Giannis is getting triple double, you know, 30 point triple doubles any night, every night. I think it's kind of hardened by a landslide this year. Uh, interesting. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, it's a good story about Milwaukee kind of coming and taking control of the East and, and winning the East. And that's probably a narrative that will carry him uh, relatively far. But I agree. I think that what, what Harden is doing uh, from that position is just, uh, you know, insane, which also lends you to, to lead you to believe like, you know, the guard position ends up being more profoundly effective affecting the game than the big man. And I think that a, a good example of that someone had said earlier this week was, Look at like uh, Damian Lillard, who has you know similar stats in theory to like a to uh, AD a little bit as far as you know the numbers and whatever. But look at the Blazers make the playoffs every year, and the, Anthony Davis struggles to make the playoffs. And it's not necessarily his fault per se, but it just seems like when you're talking about um, you know Harden in that position, it just it is more profound. Now that said, does the position that Harden play Harden plays is that more profound than the position that the Giannis plays? Sure, because he has the ball in his hands the entire time. I mean, use, you know, people refer to usage rate a lot, but as you've raised as a good point, usage rate doesn't include assists, and it doesn't factor for how often you're running the sets and how often you're, you know, you know, you're developing the plays. Harden, I think, handles it a lot more than Giannis does. Giannis, for uh, what, four, whatever, non-point guard. His position is non-point guard, essentially. Um, but he still runs a, a decent amount of point anyway out of that. So he's still very involved with the offense. And 
it's, it was extremely involved with defense as well. But like Harden is the offense. The offense runs through him almost exclusively, and that's just a level of responsibility that there's only a, two other guys in the league that I can think of that have that. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, let's see here. Should we talk about uh, a couple of trades that maybe aren't as uh, on the radar? I mean, the Rockets did a three-team trade that I think is interesting. And what, what's on the board right now is they receive Shumpert, Stauskas, Baldwin the fourth, and then a second-round pick. The Kings get Alec Burks and a pick. The Cavaliers get Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris, and a couple picks. So this is about the Rockets and shoring up their, their bench. Um, I, I'm, is it safe to say that these, all these guys are going to stay in the team or not? Shumpert, Stauskas, and Baldwin? Uh, I don't. Actually, did Stauskas and Baldwin get moved on? I think they're – Am I already late to that? And then they got – they're going to get waived. So okay. they're gone. Yeah. But, yeah, Shump will be a useful player for them. I think they, you know, they, they needed – they needed, like, a defending wing that they could trust. They've been kind of searching for that all year. They had Daniel House, who was doing pretty well, but – he can't play for them anymore because his two-way contract days ran out. So they're kind of looking for just anyone with defensive experience. And Shump's been pretty inconsistent over the last few years, but he was a beloved leader in the locker room in Sacramento. I was pleasantly surprised to see the reaction from his team as he was on his way out there. So that, you know, I think it's a it's a minor improvement. I mean, it seems like Alec Burks could have been also available to them instead of Shump, and they ended up with Shump instead of Burks. And I was kind of surprised by that, but I guess maybe they felt like they wanted someone who was a little bit more complimentary than Burks, and Burks isn't that much of a complimentary guy. I agree. I agree. I think they wanted some more defense, and I think that Shump does bring that. And if he's shooting 36% right now uh, when he's playing with the Sacramento Kings, like I guarantee you that's the lowest he's going to shoot the rest of the year with the the Rockets. I feel like he'll get a lot of catch-and-shoot threes, and uh, he should do well. It's a nice little move uh, to help shore that up because of the, the, the defense is still an issue with them. So uh, let's look here. Are there any other good questions here? We have, uh, is, is Philly a potential finals team from Skeeter Grasso? What do you think? Or Skeeter. I just want to say Skeeter. Yeah, the the no-brainer. They're, the top of the East is pretty much even at this point. It was before, and then the three teams up there that were in Boston made huge moves to elevate themselves. It seems, I mean, Harris is the, well, not actually Gasol's the best player, but it's still, it's like they added Tobias Harris. They're, I mean, that's awesome. That's really awesome. For this year, that's incredible. So, yeah, they're definitely a finals contender. They're the team that is the most difficult to understand what they're going to look like and how they're going to play of Milwaukee and Toronto, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. We've got a great question also here, uh, which is from, oh, my goodness, whenever I respond, it disappears, but where did it go about the, the Kings? And the question was, oh, here we go, from Sacktown, sixth man, what else does the Kings, what else do the Kings need in order to make the push for the eighth spot? They brought in Harrison Barnes, and they didn't have to give up too much, and so I thought that's a great deal for them. So I think they're well on their way to solidifying that spot. They got, I love their rotation and their, their backcourt with Bogdanovich, Fox, and, uh, and Heald. It's a great backcourt. We got Willie Cauley-Stein out there doing his thing and being a great athlete and, and you know, coming into his own to some degree. So I like what they're doing. I think Jaeger's doing a great job there, too. So, uh, it, you know, there isn't that much they can do anyway, right? Are they going to do uh, to shore that up? And they were missing was Caleb Swanigan, and they got him. So time to go to the championship, Sacramento fans. The missing piece. Yeah, they, uh, I'm trying to think what they really could use. I mean, they could use someone who's, like, a little bit more coherent offensively than Willie, uh, but that's okay. Uh, you know, and, um Eric Giles is starting to figure it out, and he's hopefully going to stay healthy and be a really good player. So that was a hell of a steal by them. Uh, but they were in a position where they just they couldn't 
they couldn't make any mistakes as far as having guys that if they're not going to, I mean, they sacrificed Jackson, who's a really young guy, for Barnes, who's still like kind of like entering his prime. There's still a reasonable expectation that he's going to continue to you know, play at this level for another three or four years. So as long as they're not, you know, throwing off their timeline, I think what they're doing is fine. And Barnes is a huge upgrade over Jackson at this point. Uh, yeah. He's, you know, Barnes isn't necessarily a guy I'd want to bring onto a team uh, that was trying to like develop good habits, but he complements what they have pretty nicely. And he's a consistent and reliable you know, one-on-one score, which, you know, I think will be good for them to have if, you know, when Heald gets cold, Fox, you know, gets cold, stuff like that. And they're just looking for someone who they know can get his own shot and right. can serve really nicely. And let's not forget Marvin Bagley, who's also been, was amazing the other night with an incredible alley-oop and a couple alley, or an alley-oop and a tip in and he's shooting. Uh, he's, he's getting more aggressive now, it looks like, and uh, has been really impressive to me. So uh, they're a game and a half out of the A spot right now. They kind of slipped a little bit, but then again, it's possible that the Clippers, what do we think about the Clippers, what they've done? Because it kind of feels like, are they going in the tank mode to keep that pick? That's what I wanted to talk about next. I'm really excited for what the Clippers are doing. They, I mean, I think they think that they're going to get Kawhi. I think they're pretty confident that they're going to get Kawhi. And that's why they, why they made this move. And, you know, the, the Knicks and KD have been that presumed marriage for a while now, but they have the space to get KD as well. And maybe they're going to try to get him to walk on down. So it's, it's, a, it's a shot worth taking. They didn't want to get stuck paying Tobias Harris $120 million, million or whatever it have to be. Who's like a good player who just isn't quite at that level. And, you know, credit to them for having the foresight to be that team that a lot of these teams we see they should do it. But recognizing that the guy that they're going to pay just isn't quite worth that money and trying to just kind of start over being confident they're going to be able to. I really admire that they did that. It's a really it's just like New York. They're betting on cap space. But like this is the year that you bet on cap space. If you're if you have a program that you think can entice guys because you have a chance to get a top five player in the league or two top five players in the Oh, I know. And then also there's a bit of a troll here where, you know, let's just say by sending Tobias Harris to the Sixers, it kind of maybe vaults them over the Raptors. And then maybe they beat the Raptors in the playoffs because of that move. And that means that Kawhi really wants to leave. So it's like this weird, you know, Jedi mind trick that Dre West could very well be playing, uh, trying to sort of make that happen. So um, I think think if if anybody is positioning themselves properly, it is the Clippers right now uh, to do that because – uh, the only problem is this draft, I don't think, I mean, what are we hearing about the draft right now besides, obviously, Zion? I don't know if it's a, if it's the strongest draft we've seen in the last it's, few years. Everyone's saying it's a really weak draft. I mean, that sometimes changes when the draft comes around. But I've been scouting most of these guys for a while at the top of the draft. Zion's the only one that I think projects as an elite, elite NBA player. The rest of them seem like, the rest of the top five seem like guys that are borderline all-stars, maybe all-stars. So it's not, it's not an exciting draft. There's going to be someone that emerges out of nowhere two years from now and everyone, you know, the Giannis, the Dame Lillard, whoever. That happens every year. But, yeah, this is – every a lot of people were willing to trade out of the first round this year because they just didn't think the first round was good all the way to the bottom. You know, people will say a draft sucks because there's not a lot of superstars at the top, but some of these drafts are really good when you get to, like, the late lottery or the late first round. But it seems like nobody's really interested in being a part of this draft at all anyway. 
I, I agree. And okay, here's an interesting question that we have from Willie Linquist, which isn't, which sort of about like who had the worst impact on the trade deadline. I think what he, the, the gist of his question would be who missed out most, who didn't get in there. I, I, obviously, the Lakers are happy with the headline; they didn't get AD. Um, but I think we both agree that at the very least, that was what the Pelicans should have done because they needed to wait until the summer at the very least before they made that move. I didn't see any way that this was going to happen. They so there's a lot of things that the Pelicans need to do. Sorry if I said this before, but this whole day is a blur. I know Pelicans need to get a new GM. Did I say that before? I can't remember now. Um, they they need to approach this with fresh GM, without the pressure of the Lakers oh. squeezing them in the neck, and they need to they need to have a market. You can't trade AD. You can't trade any star, let alone the most valuable trade asset in the entire NBA, which I think is that's what he is. You can't do that in a market, in a rigged market. That's what they were in, and now they actually have a legitimate market. And they're gonna, they gotta hope that the Clippers get super lucky or the Knicks get lucky. And if they do that, they've got, they've got multiple legitimate trade partners. And this all depends just on how they feel about the Lakers prospects. If they're not really high in in uh, Lonzo, I think it's too. Then, like, it's kind of a no-brainer in a way for the Celtics. The Celtics have Jalen Brown, who you know, probably projects same as Ingram. It's a little bit different, but I think projects the same as Ingram. And then Tatum, who everyone feels is one of the three truly great prospects under the age of 22 right now in the league. So maybe there's another one in there. But so the difference between Ingram and Tatum, I think, most people seem to feel is a pretty significant difference. It depends on what New Orleans thinks, and it depends on whatever their new front office they're probably going to bring in in a few months things and they need to make sure that they have diligence so they can really truly project who is the best prospect out there for us and go get that guy if it's you know i'll, I'll t- turn down the Celtics package if we think zion if they can get zion they think zion is the best person to get um because they got to get that it doesn't really matter what else you have around it it'd be great to have other valuable draft picks and other really good prospect around it but like you got to get that one guy you got to get that one guy that's going to you're going to build your team around. You're going to sell your team around, which is a huge. I mean, the Hornets, the Pelicans. The crazy thing about it is that the two people that are in charge of the team, Gail Benson, the owner, and Mickey Loomis, the I guess VP or whatever his position is, they're they're Saints people. Like they're the owners of the Saints and the VP of the Saints, and they're mostly focused on the Saints, and they don't seem to give a shit too much about the Pelicans. And it's so insane that you're going through this like one of the most important moments in the history of the franchise, and. You don't even have leadership in place that's focused on it. It's it's such a disastrous situation. So that's why I thought I wasn't really, I, I, I wasn't really losing any sleep or worrying about that trade happening because even if the Lakers came more picks, it's like those picks aren't that valuable. There are other teams out there, like the Clippers potentially, or the Celtics who can offer you picks that actually give you a chance to get another franchise player, which those Lakers are just not going to do for you. Okay, well, listen, it sounds like uh, enough people are sliding into the garden right now and, and eating up some of the bandwidth that we're going to probably let's wrap this up a little bit because we're, we're having a little trouble hearing it, Jared. But um, great show, great stuff. Uh, any other final thoughts? I mean, as far as, far as uh, I can't think of anything. I mean, that was a crazy day. I'm going to certainly have a bunch of videos to do. Tobias uh, in Philly is the first one for sure. Um, anything we have to read about you over at The Athletic? Uh, yeah, I'll have something coming up just kind of mapping out from uh, Boston's perspective and AD's perspective, what are all the next sequence of events as far as leverage plays, what they're trying to do to build and try to kind of preview into AD sweepstakes and all the variables. There are so many variables. It's probably going to take 
30 hours just to write the piece. That'll be up soon on the F. All right. Well, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everybody live. And thank you for joining us in the podcast later. Great questions. Great breakdown. Great stuff. Jared, we'll see you up there soon. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? The only thing I have to say is frequent. <laughs>